sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. The number one issue in Congress when it comes to religious freedom has to do with the competing interests of LGBT rights and religious freedom and whether this will be worked out in legislation. Our guest today, Attorney Todd McFarland, is Associate General Counsel for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Todd, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Alan, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. So we've got two bills, the Equality Act, which I think many of our listeners have probably heard about, another one called Fairness for All, a competing bill which uh, is getting somewhat less attention. Let's start with the Equality Act. What is it and why is it that Christian conservatives have been so alarmed by it? Sure. So the Equality Act is a proposed law in Congress, which has passed the House and currently pending in the Senate, which would rewrite almost all, if not all, of the United States' civil rights laws to both expand their reach and to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected categories. And this does this in everything from employment to housing to federal funds to places of public accommodation to credit to jury service, you name it. All of these areas now where there's protected classifications, normally you think of things like race and gender and, you know, ethnicity, religion, and so forth. Now sexual orientation and gender identity would be added to that list. And then also in some other contexts, it expands the reach of those civil rights laws so that they reach more areas in addition to protecting these two additional groups. So it strikes me, you know, we can kind of divide this topic in two, which is to say the opposition to LGBT rights generally and the specific concerns about how this legislative proposal would undermine religious freedom and would impact on religious people, religious institutions. But let's take that second prong and talk about what are some of the adverse consequences that, you know, some are concerned about the reach of the bill. Sure. And there is a number of them, and they're not entirely obvious. If you read the bill itself, it doesn't really seem to impact religion, doesn't really mention religion. And when it does, it talks about adding it to protected categories and so forth. But because of the broad reach of it, the expansion and the lack of religious exemptions, it really does threaten a lot of religious institutions. Probably one of the biggest threats is in the area of federal funding. So Title VI of the Civil Rights Act right now says that to receive any type of federal funding, um, including, by the way, and this is important, for a school to be eligible to participate in the uh, student loan and Pell Grants higher education programs, you can't discriminate on the basis of race and national origin. And that's, you know, the, the civil rights era sort of legislation that outlawed that for any group that happens to receive federal funds. And of course, if you run a higher educational institution, you know, being able to participate in these programs with student loans and Pell Grants is absolutely crucial. Well, if this law were to pass, what that would mean is that religious colleges and institutions 
could not uphold or have any conduct standards that differentiated between same-sex relationships and heterosexual relationships and really could not maintain their definition of marriage. And so it would require organizations and schools to essentially not have any of these conduct standards uh, because of their traditional uh, biblical view. It also, by the way, would threaten segregated dorms. It would threaten their ability to deal with transgender students in the way they felt was appropriate and sort of transgender students would be able to uh, pick the uh, uh, the dorm of their choice. And for schools that have segregated dorms and so forth, that could be very difficult. And also, and to some extent, this issue was addressed in the Bostock decision the Supreme Court decided last year, in which it expanded the current law to include sexual orientation and gender identity. But this would more enshrine that. It would also call into question some of the religious exemptions that are in there for that, uh, which is to say, you know, can religious employers, you know, have conduct standards for their employees, which a lot of them do. The other important area that it covers is what's known as public accommodation. It vastly expands the definition of public accommodations and basically any place that's open to the public. So any place other than, say, a private home residence or some private clubs, um, you know, would also be excluded. But places like churches, schools, uh, any other place that, you know, where the public is welcome would now be a place of public accommodation and they would not be able to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And that means on its face, places like churches, their ancillary buildings, their fellowship halls and so forth, summer camps, all of these groups wouldn't be able to make the distinctions that a lot of churches and religious groups do uh, without opening themselves up to lawsuits. So while the sanctuary itself would be protected most likely under the Constitution, all the ancillary buildings and fellowship halls and everything may not be. And so churches would either have to litigate this issue and hopefully win, or they would have to limit the use of these facilities just to their members, which could significantly reduce uh, their outreach uh, to the community because they want these places to be resources to the community, but they do want to make sure that when they're being used, they're upholding those churches' standards. So it sounds to me like those who are advocating for this measure are really trying to force their moral vision on religious bodies, not just Christian, but Jewish, Muslim, you know, all religious bodies. No. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I mean, this isn't just about, they do certainly want these organizations uh, to sort of come into compliance with the law. This is not some bug that's in the law or some oversight. It's the one of the features, if not the principal feature. You know, they really want religious organizations just to change their views. While the bill does not necessarily require that, and that would be grossly unconstitutional, I think, on almost anyone's definition, um, they are definitely trying to put pressure on that and make it so that religious organizations that uphold these traditional views are either forced to endure lots of litigation or essentially go into some closed space off by themselves where they can only talk amongst themselves and really pressure organizations to evolve is their word they often use their religious beliefs to to include and recognize same-sex relationships as being equivalent to heterosexual relationships. So the opposition seems to me that there's two different competing positions. One is simply to say no to LGBT rights entirely, and another one is to work for compromise and to protect both religious freedom and LGBT rights. Um, first, when it comes to the kind of the you know um, blanket no position, 
it strikes me that that is also kind of a my way or the highway attempt to say that, you know, Christian values about sexuality uh, should be enshrined in American law because we're a Christian nation. And so, um, you know, we're just going to say no to protecting LGBT rights, period. Do you think that's a fair assessment? I think that, you know, a lot of different groups are opposed to the Equality Act for a number of different reasons. But yes, a lot of the advocacy groups that have been just strongly opposed to any type of LGBT protections do that based upon this idea that society should not be what they view endorsing this behavior, putting its imprimatur on it, or otherwise um, just protecting it. Um, that this is something that, you know, essentially right, wrong has no right. And that approach, you know, what they view as sort of a cultural war, uh, is one that is certainly animated those that are opposed to it. I would say, in all fairness to them, I think the people who are pushing this also have a similar agenda, just sort of on the other side of trying to sort of push not just the law, but the country and its beliefs in sort of the opposite direction. But in between the two extreme positions, there are some denominations, our Seventh-day Adventists and, and some others, and even some LGBT groups that are working for some kind of compromise. Can you describe what that would look like? Sure. There's been a number of denominations, religious groups that are working on a bill, which has been introduced in Congress called Fairness for All, that essentially does the same thing that the Equality Act does as far as expanding civil rights laws to include uh, protection for sexual orientation and gender identity. But it puts in a lot of religious carve-outs, very consistent with the religious carve-outs that we have today in existing civil rights. And so it would mean that religious organizations could maintain their hiring preference. It means they could maintain their conduct standards in the universities and colleges. It means that they could maintain their church facilities, their summer camps, their bookstores, and the rest consistent with what they, uh, you know, believe. And then again, their higher education, you know, could continue to thrive uh, and to, you know, accept these uh, Title IV funds as they're called for higher education, student loans, and Pell Grants. I should also say, by the way, just as a side note, should this law pass and religious schools no longer be available for these private, uh, I mean, for these public funds, the, the Pell Grants and the student loans, it wouldn't just be those uh, denied. You also use your own saved money uh, from either Coverdale Savings Account or 529 plan. To make a qualified distribution from those uh, monies, you have to, uh, you have to, to have go to a school eligible for Title IV funds. So if the colleges and universities lost their eligibility to receive those monies, they would also lose the ability to receive parents' own saved money uh, to put their kids through college. Well, you know, we faced a challenge in California several years ago in a state measure that would implicate Calibrants to religious colleges. And one of the things that we determined was, you know, we really have a public-private partnership in providing higher education. The states do not have the resources to provide higher education to all students. And what we found is that for all of the public funding that goes into private colleges, they're um, matched uh, extensively by private dollars. Um, so it really is a bargain. It's a lot cheaper for the state to provide some of these subsidies, these grants and loans for kids to attend private colleges uh, because it would cost so much more if, um, if they were all trying to attend public institutions. 
So it's not just bad for religious freedom. It's simply bad policy. It's bad for kids to, to shrink the availability of, uh, of the private sector. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I think a top Cal Grant sweat around $9,000. And, you know, it costs a whole lot more than $9,000 for the state to, you know, send a kid to college uh, just from the subsidy perspective. And never mind, it would cost a whole lot more than that to expand to include those. Uh, you know, it costs more even now with existing infrastructure. No, you simply cannot in California or anywhere else around the country just close down all Christian private schools and dump those kids into either, you know, secular private schools or public schools and expect that, you know, that there's going to be enough capacity. Well, none of us have our crystal ball, so I'm not going to ask you to take yours out, Todd. Um, we've been discussing the Equality Act with my friend and colleague, Attorney Todd McFarland, represents the Seventh-day Adventist Church in our General Counsel's office. Uh, the Equality Act is really kind of the number one uh, religious freedom issue in Congress uh, this term until issues of gay rights and religious freedom get uh, ironed out. Uh, here at Freedom's Ring, we will continue to keep you posted periodically. This is a very significant issue. Todd, thank you for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. As we close, remember friends, even the coronavirus won't slow down our efforts to protect your religious freedom. We don't just talk about it here at Freedom's Ring. We provide legal services to those suffering religious discrimination, especially those suffering religious discrimination in the workplace with your jobs. Check us out at churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is most definitely not free. Be informed, get involved, join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring. NARLA, as we call it, is on the web at religiousliberty.info. Be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring, all of our programs on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinhardt. Until next week, friends, keep freedom ringing.